Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you'd like prayer for or you'd like to talk about from a biblical perspective here today to do that and we'd love to hear from you and uh, take your prayer requests we'd love to answer your questions about the bible maybe there's been something as you've been reading your bible that's come up that you're confused about or would like clarity on or maybe a cultural issue that you're curious about discussing from a biblical perspective we'd love to hear from you the number to call is 303-690-3000 that's 303-690-3000 or you can text us at 720 720- Three three six zero eight nine seven. So once again, the call-in number is three zero three six nine zero three thousand, or you can text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. We want to welcome those of you who are tuning in here in Colorado and in Southern Wyoming on Grace FM. You're hearing this program live, and we're so glad that you've tuned in. We also want to welcome those of you who are listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those who are tuning in on Truth FM in Tennessee and into parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Welcome to the program. Just a reminder that those of you listening on the East Coast and the area around Tennessee, you're hearing this program on a one-week delay. So just keep that in mind. But we would love for you to call in, and then you get the unique opportunity where you get to tune in the following week and listen to your call on the radio. Maybe tell some other people to tune in as well. Hey, we also want to give a big hello to everyone who listens online. We know there are so many of you, an increasing number of people who listen uh, not just in our listening range, in our broadcast range, but also outside of that, who are tuning in on our mobile app and on the website. So you can go to the website at any time. Go to gracefm.com, and you can tune in live there. You just click the button that says Listen Live, and you can do that whether you're at work or maybe you're at home listening on the computer. Um, but also, if you have a mobile device, right, a cell phone, if you have a tablet, you can download the Grace FM app for free. Just go to your app store on your device, type in Grace FM, it's one word, and that app is free. You download that onto your device, and then you can listen anywhere you are in the world. And it's cool to see how our listening range, you know, online has grown. People tuning in in Asia. We have regular listeners in South Africa, as well as into parts of Europe. And it's uh, it's great to see how God is growing this station and its reach and glad that you have tuned in today wherever you're tuning in from just a few words about myself before we start going to our callers and text questions my name is pastor nick katie i'm the pastor of whitefields community church which is located in longmont colorado and we are a church that loves jesus we love to study the bible verse by verse we have a great strong children's ministry and god's doing some really good things at our church and we'd love for you to be a part of it if you are in the longmont 
Boulder County, you know, Southwest Weld County or Southern Larimer counties here in Colorado, Northern Colorado, just north of Denver, we would love to have you come and worship with us sometime. Be part of our community as we're seeking to grow in the knowledge of Jesus and grow in our walk with him week in and week out as a community of people pursuing Jesus. You can find out more about us online on our website, which is whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And we'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We gather at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings in downtown Longmont. We are just one block west of Main Street on the corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. So Longs Peak Avenue and our address is 700 Longs Peak Avenue, right in downtown Longmont. And we are just to the south of the downtown park and ride and just on the edge of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park here in Longmont. And just on the northwest corner is where we're located, northwest corner of, um, let's see, where are we? Northwest corner of Kaufman and Longs Peak Avenue. And the St. Vrain Memorial Building is the name of the building that we're in. And we'd love to have you come and worship with us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We just wrapped up a series this past Sunday. We, well, we finished the first half of a series, really. So we're studying, we have been studying through 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And this past Sunday, we just finished up 1 Peter. Our series is called Pilgrim's Progress because one of Peter's big focuses is on the hope of heaven and how we are in this world as pilgrims. And yet Peter's very clear that our posture in this world as pilgrims is not to be, not to have like a flippant attitude. Because that can be the case sometimes, right? When we say, hey, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Some people can take that as a way of saying, you know, I'm going to disengage from this world. But Peter says just the opposite. He says, because this world isn't your home, because you're passing through, because you have the hope of heaven, your posture towards this world is not to be that of a tourist who doesn't put down roots and doesn't get engaged because you're just going to fly out next Tuesday. No, he says, nor should you view this world neither as a tourist nor as if you're a prisoner of war kept here against your will, but rather you should view this world you should take the posture of a missionary. You are here for a short time, a brief window, and um, that window is getting smaller with every breath you take. And for the time that you are here, you are called by God to have a missionary posture in this world. You are here on assignment. And he has a mission for you in this world to bring the good news of the gospel and the truth and light of his love to the world. You get to be his emissaries and ambassadors. And that is what it means to be a pilgrim in this world. It was a wonderful study the all of the messages are up on our website um, so you can go and check those out and download them whitefieldschurch.com we'd love for you to listen to them uh, and they're going to be up on the radio soon too so if you are not within driving distance of our church you can still engage with us both online you know we're on social media as well facebook instagram twitter uh, youtube we have a great youtube channel and uh, you can also engage with us by um tuning into our radio program, which is here on Grace FM every weekday at 2.30 p.m. So every weekday, 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time, it's called Life in the Field because we live our lives on mission with God in His mission field. And so 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time every weekday, maybe what that's some of you are picking up kids at that time from school. Um, also Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. If for some reason you're not able to be in church physically, tune into the radio Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and you can hear our studies then. Let's go ahead and go to our callers right now. Let's go to Vanessa in Wiggins. Hi, Vanessa. Welcome to the program. Oh, how are you, Pastor? Doing great. What's up? I want to give 
testimony and have prayer, please? Okay. Okay. Um, three weeks out of the hospital from um, plenary failure. Okay. Um, during the night, Friday night into Saturday, um, turned really bad off. And Jesus woke me up, go find Jason. And I got Jason and Jason picked me up and took me to Fort Morgan Hospital. And they uh, sat us and I'm just born again. And I've been, it's just been one trial after another. I should be recovering, but no, I've got to find a place to live. Mm-hmm. I have home. Uh, yes, sir. It's just, you know, it's life. I have a home, and I have a pet. I have an older camper that I'm staying outside. And uh, the other night when it was minus 17 degrees, anyhow, I'm not long and stayed warm from the back to the back. Anyhow, we made it, me and Moonstone, and we don't have to get all that medicine. At the hospital, I first had a out because next day I felt so alive, and I just, I guess it had to take that to to get where I'm at now. And so, um, just want to praise God for what He's doing for me and let everyone know, you know, it can and turn around. So yeah. I'm, I was with, yes, I was with. Family. I've been with my family for almost four years. My daughter-in-law and uh, out in Evans. And my son's uh, business went belly up, and we got out here to Wiggins to um, my daughter-in-law's mom and dad's. Well, while I was in the hospital, my offered this wonderful job, which is out is eleven thousand. Cannot be with him. Hmm. And um, hey, Vanessa, I'm going to have to stop you because I, I I'm not yes. getting most of your message because I think the connection's really bad. But what, okay. I, what I've gotten from what you said, let me just give a recap for our listeners, is that you've been having yes, some sir. health trouble and you're in need of a place to live. Is that right? Can we pray for those things? I have a place to live. I just I just need to move it. It's a camper. Okay, so you're looking for a place and to I'm, park your camper. Yeah, and help somebody. Because God has gave me so much grace and mercy and and renewed renewed my spirit that I just come alongside body and grow my salvation, our salvation. Okay, well, that's awesome. Let's go ahead and pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for Vanessa. I thank you, Lord, for how you have taken care of her with these physical uh, difficulties she's had with these health problems. Lord, I thank you that... Even in the midst of these, Lord, she's excited about walking with you. She's excited about growing in you. And Lord, I pray that that would be the case. Lord, I pray that as you said uh, here in First Peter chapter 5, Lord, that you would restore her, confirm her, strengthen her, and establish her. Lord, that she would have roots like, like the psalmist says that go down deep uh, and, and that she is stable and her, her leaf does not wither. And Lord, I pray that you would bless her in these uh, health issues, but I also pray, Lord, you'd help her find the right place to live and park her trailer so she could be a blessing to this person. Find that right person with whom she can partner and perhaps they can even grow together in you. Lord, we pray that you'd lead her to that right place for her. And thank you for her excitement for you, Lord. I pray that you would help her to grow in you and be a blessing. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Yeah, thank you, Vanessa, for calling in. God bless you. Number. All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or things going on in your life. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. I kind of started stumbling over my words there. Let's go to our next caller, Chris in Fort Collins. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the program. Well, hello. Thank you. Uh, my husband had a question that I could not answer, and he was wondering what the difference is between the Hebrew Bible and the Jewish Bible. And I don't know if there is a difference, if it's not the same, but if you could uh, explain that. Yeah, no problem. So in, um, let's say it this way, in theological circles, the word Hebrew Bible is preferred over the word Old Testament. And the reason for that is because um, before the New Testament was written, it was still considered the Bible. And the Hebrew people, you know, it was written in Hebrew. And so here would be what I'd say. Hebrew Bible in more technical terms, like the way it's used in technical writings, refers to what we call the Old Testament. And so when we're talking to Jewish people, when they refer to the Bible, they're talking about the Old Testament, but they don't call it the Old Testament because they don't have a New Testament to compare it, you know, to make the Old Testament old. So they call it the Bible or the Jewish Bible or the Hebrew Bible. Now, um, we could also say this, that the Hebrew Bible could also refer to the original writings of the Bible, which were written in Hebrew. Whereas the Jewish Bible might be a term that we would use also to refer to the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint. So if we're talking about, and a lot of Jewish people, even in the time of Jesus, read from the Septuagint. So really, when we're talking about Hebrew Bible, Jewish Bible, these terms refer to the Old Testament. Jewish Bible would probably refer to both the Hebrew text and the Greek text, which is a translation of the original Hebrew text. Um, but generally, these are meant to speak about the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament as Christians. Okay, so would that refer to the five books of Moses, the Tanakh? It would refer to more than that. So, um, more. Right, not just the Torah. And, the, and that um, is the Hebrew, or is it the Jewish? Again, Hebrew and Jewish Bible are really just terms that refer to the Old Testament. And the okay. Old Testament is made up of the Torah, which is the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, so Genesis through Deuteronomy. Then the historical books, which are Joshua, Ruth, we have uh, Judges, we have um, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Then we have the wisdom literature, which would be like Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, Song of Solomon. Then we have the prophets. And so there are um, you know, 12 minor prophets and four major prophets. So it's, it's all the prophets. It's the books of Moses, which are the, the five books, the Torah, and the historical books and the wisdom literature. Okay, all of the Old Testament then. Right. Okay, great. I think that I can share that with him, and he will understand that. Great. Happy to help. God bless you, Chris. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church 
taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call, 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, the text line, 720-336-0897. Give us a call with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. We'd love to pray for you and hear from you. Let's go to our next caller, Tom in Hudson, Colorado. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the program. Doing great. How you doing? Doing Um, And I may have this all turned around. I was listening to one of the guys the other day, and I think they were talking about the resurrection, and Jesus went to paradise and took all the people there, um, which opened up Hades, and then he took them to the second heaven. Does that make sense? Well, I think I know where you're going. But I would say it was the third heaven, but I'll explain that in a second. Okay. So I'm not sure who it was who was talking about it, but it sounds like what they were describing. Let me me help you to understand it. So they might have been asking a question like, what happened in the time between Jesus' death and his resurrection? Because the Apostles' Creed says that Jesus descended to the dead or some you know the older translation of the apostles creed actually says that he descended into hell but the greek word that should really be translated he descended to the place of the dead and that also makes more sense biblically as well i mean that would actually match up with what the bible teaches Uh, a good place to go to understand this most clearly would be luke chapter 16 the second half of luke chapter 16 So Luke 16, starting in verse 19 and going to verse 31, which is the end of the chapter. So here's basically what it comes down to. When Jesus, and there are a few other verses, by the way, that play into this, like 1 Peter chapter 3 and 4 allude to this. Ephesians chapter 4 alludes to this as well. And basically, here's the deal. If you died before Jesus came, So we know that there are what we call Old Testament saints. These are people who died in faith, like Abraham and Sarah and Moses and people who were followers of God and they hoped in the coming uh, redemption that God was going to bring for those who put their trust in him and cast themselves upon his mercy and, and trusted in his provision. And yet, let's say you're Abraham and you die. Do you go to heaven? Well, you can't really go into the immediate presence of God because your sins, though covered perhaps through sacrifice, have not yet been truly atoned for, right? They haven't been washed away, wiped away. They've just been covered. So you wouldn't go to heaven. What we see in the Old Testament, the Jews had this concept of Sheol. And Sheol, right, David says this, for example, in Psalm 139, where he says, you know, even if I would go down to Sheol, then you, your, your spirit would be with me. Well, how, how does that make any sense? How, how can it be that God is in, is he saying that God is in hell? No, because Sheol in the Jewish concept is, it is the dwelling place of the, the souls of the deceased, both those who died in faith and those who died apart from faith. And so what we see in Luke 16 that's so helpful is it explains to us, and this is Jesus, by the way, telling us a story, not even a parable, a story. And he tells us that two people died. They both went to Sheol, but the one man died in faith and the other man died apart from faith. 
the one who died in faith went to a place which Jesus calls Abraham's bosom, and he says that it was a place of comfort. And so the other man died, and he goes to a place called Hades, or hell, which is a place of torment. Now, essentially, both of these places, and Sheol as a whole, is uh, a waiting area, right? A waiting area. But waiting for what? Well, in Abraham's bosom, you're waiting for the redemption that God has promised to bring about through the Messiah. You're waiting for that to happen, or they were waiting for that to happen. And then in Hades and hell, you are also waiting, but what you're waiting for there is you're waiting for Judgment Day. So we see in the book of Revelation that on Judgment Day, hell and Hades are emptied. People stand before God to be judged for their sins before the great throne of judgment. And then those um, who you know, had not put their trust in Jesus, they end up being cast along with Hades and hell and the devil into the lake of fire, which it says is the second judgment. Right. So what about those in, in, in the other part of Sheol, right? Abraham's bosom. Well, what it, we can kind of piece together from like First Peter 3 and 4 and Ephesians 4, that the Apostles' Creed is also referring to, by the way. That, so that just tells us that early Christians also believed this is that when Jesus died on the cross, he went into Sheol, right, which again had two parts, and he announced to those spirits in Sheol what he had accomplished on the cross. And for those who were in Hades or hell, that was um, a pronunciation of their, their condemnation, right, that they had not been saved and they would not be saved. But for yeah. those who were in Abraham's bosom, it was a, pronunciation of their redemption and so therefore they were free to leave this place which again was a place of comfort but not the immediate presence of God and it would seem that Jesus led them in his train as it says in Ephesians 4 and he led them to the presence of God so if you were to die today in faith in Jesus Christ you would go to the presence of God that's what Paul the Apostle says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord now, again, that itself is not our ultimate destination because we know that at the judgment, right, all will be raised. And then, so there will be the second judgment, which is the lake of fire for those who will be judged. But for us who will be saved, then we will not just remain like disembodied spirits, you know, in a, like an ethereal heaven. But what we will be, we will receive is a new heavens, a new earth, which is tangible, and we'll receive resurrection bodies. Okay. So, does that, that help clear it up? Well, what was, what was the part about the third heaven? Oh, yeah. Okay, so third heaven. This is um, two. Okay, so if you would look at Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul the Apostle talks about how he had a vision of heaven. And he says, actually, I don't know if it was a vision or if it's something that I actually experienced in the flesh. But he says this, I know a man in Christ, and he re reveals later on that he's actually talking about himself. So he says, 14 years ago, I was caught up to the third heaven. Now, what's the third heaven? Both in ancient thinking and in what Paul's talking about here, there were three heavens. And the three heavens are 
even terms that we kind of use today. So you have the heaven this is in the sense of the atmosphere, right? So the when you look up and the sky's blue, that you know you're looking, you've got the atmosphere that that's the sky above us. Okay. Then you've got beyond that, you've got outer space. That's considered the second heavens. And then the third okay. heaven is the place where God dwells, which is not necessarily a geographical location as much as a spiritual realm. Okay. That's what I was wondering. Okay. I hope I cleared it up. Yes, you did very much. Thank you. Awesome. God bless you, Tom. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your questions and about the Bible. Uh, maybe things you've been reading that you're confused about or would like clarity on. We're here to answer those questions, and we're also here to pray for you. So give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. love to pray for you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Again, the text line 720-336-0897. Let's go to our text line right now. We have all open lines right now, so it's actually a great time to call in if you've had that question burning on, on your mind and just wondering when to call in. We had totally full lines just a few minutes ago, and now we've taken all those callers. All lines are free, and we'd love for you to call in, and uh, we get to answer your question for you here on the air. In the meantime, we'll go over to the text line. Someone texts in with this. Hi, Pastor. I have a quick question. My name is Andrew. I live in Fort Collins. I was wondering if you could help me with a Bible verse. The verse is Isaiah 45, verse 7. It says this, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. What does that mean that God creates evil? Could you dig a little deeper into the Greek for us? Thank you and God bless. Yeah, I'd be happy to um, look into the Greek for you. But I also um, want to just kind of address this question. I don't even know if it's totally necessary to delve into the Greek to answer this question. Um, and, and actually, we won't be digging into the Greek on this one. We're going to be uh, digging into Hebrew because, right, this is from Isaiah 45. So we're going to be looking at the Hebrew as opposed to Greek. Uh, although, of course, there is the Greek Septuagint translation that uh, we referred to earlier. But here, here's what it says in Hebrew. Um, two things that need to be considered when we read this verse. Um, the word translated evil, again, you're, that, that uh, verse you texted me was translated from the King James Version, the Old King James, which translates it evil. But the Hebrew word there means adversity, affliction, calamity, distress, or misery. Now, now uh, other English translations of the Bible translate the word disaster or calamity. And so that's really interesting that, um, you know, the old King James translates it evil, but n other translations have looked at that and said, okay, actually, maybe evil isn't the best way to translate this, particularly in light of the fact of what some of the other Bible verses say. So, right, that's called canonical theology. It means that we, we take the Bible as a whole. We understand that um, God is not an author of evil or not an author of confusion but of order. So what does that mean? Well, it means that if there's multiple ways to translate this verse, well, probably the 
the one that we should lean towards is the one that matches with what else God reveals about himself in the Bible. So, for example, we know that God is not the author of evil, right? In James, he tells us, when you are tempted, do not say the Lord is tempting me because the Lord is not the author of temptation. Rather, he says our temptations come when our fleshly lusts are stirred up. So, in other words, what does this mean? It means that we shouldn't translate it evil, right, in the way that we think about evil, meaning like a moral badness or like that God created, um, you know, badness, let's say. But we can say that what this verse is saying is that God does send some things, and he is the author sometimes of things which could fall into the category of affliction, calamity, distress, or misery, or even woes. For example, we read in the New Testament, you know, Jesus pronounces woes or warnings of calamity upon people who were going in a wrong way. And I'm going to continue this thought right after our break. We've come up on our mid-show break. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. We'll continue this talk about um, calamity and evil, and God is the author right when we come back in two minutes' time. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church taking your calls and texts on the air. Right before we went to the break, we were talking about a text question we got about this verse in Isaiah which, at, which talks about God uh, being the one who created evil. Now, of course, that's how the, um, the King James, the old King James Version translates that word. But what we were saying right before the break is that that word in Hebrew actually uh, should rather be translated more along the lines of adversity, affliction, calamity, distress, and misery. And what I was going to say, my final thought on this text was that, you know, we recently studied... First Peter in my church, I mentioned that a few minutes ago, and Peter is writing to people who were suffering greatly, right? This is written during the time of the great uh, persecution, which took place under Caesar Nero, starting in 64 AD, right? When Caesar was burning the bodies of Christians in his gardens as lamps, you know, to light his chariot races at night. And he was putting Christians into the um, Colosseum to be killed by wild animals. And so these are people who are suffering. And I only say that to say this, that Peter then talks in more than one place here in First Peter, in two places, he uses this phrase, those who suffer according to the will of God, according to the will of God. He actually says that it can be God's will in chapter 3, verse 17, 1 Peter three seventeen. He says that it is sometimes God's will for you to suffer. And that's really interesting. I think that's, that's so far outside of how a lot of us tend to think about God, right? We tend to think about God as, as this one who, um, you know, protects us from bad things happening, not the one who sometimes not only allows bad things to happen, but perhaps even ordains that we would go through certain difficult things. But yet that's what Peter's saying, and it's really what Isaiah's saying there. And the way that we know that this should be rather translated like affliction or calamity is because there in Isaiah 45, verse 7, it makes it clear that... um, that the, from the context that God is 
basically rewarding Israel for their obedience and also punishing them for disobedience. And so um, it isn't saying that he is the author of evil as like a moral force, so to say, but rather that God is um, the author of, let's say, calamity in the sense of what we talk about in Hebrews chapter 12, where it talks about how God disciplines the ones he loves. We also see that God brings about, let's, we could use the word calamity or affliction, upon certain people throughout the Bible. For example, it's that God is the one who ordains that the Babylonians are going to you know, enslave the Israelites for a certain amount of time. Why? Well, in the end, we actually see, and you can, you can follow this through the history and through looking at the Bible, that the Babylonian captivity was actually though very uncomfortable and very difficult for the people of Israel, it, had, it reaped so many wonderful, beneficial things in their history, right? Through the, through the captivity, the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms are reunited in Babylon in captivity. We see that through the captivity, uh, the, there was, that's where synagogues came about, was during the Babylonian captivity because the people were separated from the temple. And so they, the way that they would began to worship as they began to gather together to hear the word of God read and then explained and then they would pray and that's what the synagogues became and so they developed this rhythm of synagogue worship that continued even after they came back into the land after the Babylonian captivity and that in turn prepared their hearts for the coming of Jesus because they were in the word and so all that to say is that can God do things that feel to us like calamity, affliction, distress, or misery, and yet they're from the hand of a loving God for good purposes? The answer to that is absolutely yes. You know, just looking at uh, First Peter, our last week's study before yesterday was one called Suffering and the Will of God, in which we looked at this very thing. And we actually were able to identify six distinct things that God does in his love for us through difficulties, hardships, tribulations, calamities, distress, misery, whatever you might call them, through, through our suffering. One is that it's one of the ways that God draws people to himself and gets their attention. Uh, it, another one is it's one of the ways that God builds our character and builds holiness within us. It's, it's also a way that God directs us. So there's so many good things that God does through these things, and it, that's why Peter's message that this life is short and we're passing through is so important in that regard. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you for texting in. Great, thoughtful question. I love to see people engaging with the Word of God like that. Let's go to our callers. Uh, let's go to Dominic in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Dominic. Welcome to the program. Hi. How are you? Doing great. What's up? So I uh, was looking. I just got home. It's uh, Matthew twenty-four thirty-seven through forty-four, and it talks about the uh, you know how it was before the time of Noah, and it'll be the same when uh, from the way I take it, you know, Jesus comes again. Um, I mean, it, it sounds, you know, borderline sketchy as far as, uh, you know, there's two men that will be in the fields, one will be taken, one will be left. Um, you know, two at the grinding mill, one will be taken, one will be left. Um, you know, that's still a far cry, similar to how, you know, the Jehovah's Priest that is only select few that will go. Um, is it still leaning towards what you were talking about earlier on the radio uh, as far as, uh, you know, the, the half-believers versus the full-believers? Um, yeah, so, I mean, what he's talking about is what we would call the rapture, right? And what he's saying is that people will be doing things, one will be taken, the other won't be, 
And what this just tells us is probably a couple things we can d derive from this. Not only does it describe what will happen um, at the coming of the Son of Man, but it's, uh, it's also a warning to us, right? So in the one sense, it's telling us what's going to happen, right? Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Um, I don't think that this is really... So you might say, yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses might say that not everybody's chosen, but actually Jesus would say that that's the case as well, right? So anybody who believes that some people will go to heaven and some people won't, you know, believes in what we call exclusivity. And we would have to say that Jesus himself believed in that. We can see that like in Matthew 13, where Jesus says, you know, the kingdom of God is like throwing a net out into the water, bringing in the fish, and then at the end of the age, the fish will be divided and some will be cast out and some will be kept, right? And so that's also in the same vein. It's a warning for us to check our hearts, make sure that we are truly in the faith, right? That's what Second Peter 1 says. He says, you know, make sure, make your calling and election sure. A lot of times we apply that verse to talking about like, oh, I'm going to make my calling in life, right? Like my vocation or my ministry. I need to be sure about that. But in the context of what Peter's saying, he's really talking about make sure that you're really saved. Make sure that, mm. you know, you look at your life and your heart and are you saved? Are you really in the faith? This is, this is a very important theme throughout, especially the New Testament, where Jesus, you know, he'll say, hey, look at the fruit of a tree, and you can determine what kind of tree that is. Now, that doesn't mean that mm -hmm. we go around judging people, but it does mean that um, if we are in the faith, our life will bear the fruit of repentance. It will bear the fruits that prove that we have been born again or that we are in the faith. So we Make should, sense. yeah, we should check that. That's a really important theme in the book of Hebrews too, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I put it this way. There's this kind of, you know, pithy saying that says that the Bible um, comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comforted. And I think that's, that's pretty accurate. Like we should do that. Like uh, there are a lot of Bible verses that speak to those who are, you know, people who are like, hey, you know, they're the timid believer who says, man, I want to be saved. I want to follow Jesus. Sometimes I mess up and I'm worried that I'm not going to be saved. The Bible would give a lot of comfort and confidence to that person saying, hey, even if you fail to hold on to Jesus, don't forget that Jesus is holding on to you. But to the person who's just kind of like flippant and kind of laissez-faire about the whole thing and says, you know, whatever, I raised my hand when I was at middle school camp, you know, in 1996, so I think I'm good forever, <laughs> you know, uh, the Bible would say, eh, not so fast there, bro. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. You bet. God bless you, Dominic. All right. Bye-bye. God bless. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to line two. We've got Beth in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Beth. Welcome to the program. Hi, how are you, sir? Doing great. What's up? Um, I'm calling because I just started experiencing something going on with my husband, and I'm not 100% sure how to deal with it. And he, the past four weeks, he's been claiming that there's something attached to him. He hasn't been eating. He has been losing weight. He's been a lot of things. And prior to this, he's never been like this. And I'm... I'm learning, the past couple of years I've been trying to learn 
God and Jesus, and, and it's all new to me. And I do believe, but, and I'm trying to stay strong for him, but it's getting harder because I'm being woken up in the middle of the night and asked to help remove parasites from him and different things. And hmm. it's starting to, it's, it's like breaking me down. Yeah. And I'm, I'm scared that if it's something really there, it'll attach to me because of showing fear. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how else to help him. Yeah. Well, I've got a few thoughts. Let me um, let me walk you through a few things. Is your husband a believer? He says he is. Yes, sir. But okay. I, 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 I don't know. Sure. Well, well, God knows his heart. I mean, God knows the answer to that question. I, I think that, you know, that's good that he says that he is. That, that tells me a lot. But uh, I'll just tell you this, that I'm very confident in what the scriptures say, that if the Holy Spirit is in you, that you cannot be, um, let's say, you cannot be indwelt by a demonic force. I think that uh, sometimes we give demons more credit than they deserve. We remember what Paul says in Colossians, where he says that the demonic powers have been disarmed and defeated by Jesus. And so I'm just going to encourage you. I want you to pray for your husband in Jesus' name, that uh, that God would set him free from whatever it is that's going on, whether it's demonic in origin, whether it's a mental health thing. And I would encourage you, we're going to pray for your husband right now, um, but I would encourage you that you can be very confident because if the Holy Spirit is in you, which the Holy Spirit is in you if you are in Christ, if your faith is in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come into you as a seal and dwells within you. You can be confident that you can stand in that place and minister to your husband without having to worry about demons, let's say, attaching themselves to you. One of the things I love about Jesus that you'll notice in the Bible is that he, Jesus touches lepers, and rather than being un, becoming unclean, he makes the lepers clean. That's really important because you remember people in those days wouldn't touch lepers. They wouldn't touch people who were unclean because they believed that the uncleanness would transfer to them and that they would become unclean if they came in contact with an unclean person. But Jesus is so incredible because he doesn't avoid unclean people. He goes and touches them and he's not scared of being defiled by them. Rather, he is so pure that his purity rubs off on them, so to say, rather than the other way around. And he makes the unclean clean. And what that means, Beth, for you, is that if Jesus is in you, you can be confident that his purity is more powerful than the impurity of anything evil. And so you can walk in complete confidence in that. The other thing I'm going to say is, after you pray for your husband, I think this is something that's worth mentioning to your physician. And perhaps it is a mental health thing that needs to be helped it helped out in that way and checked out and so let's uh let's do both right we're going to pray with all our hearts um for these things and we're also going to get them checked out medically so let's go ahead and pray for you and your husband lord i thank you for um your grace lord that you have you have disarmed and defeated the evil forces the rulers and authorities and the in the high in heavenly places, right, or in the, the, this earth. Lord, you've defeated the, the devil and the demons, and I thank you that we can stand in that confidence that if you are in us, 
Lord, we do not have to be a scared. We do not have to be scared of being defiled by any of these things. We can stand in confidence. And Lord, I pray for Beth that she would stand in confidence. And we pray right now for her husband in Jesus' name that if there is any kind of demonic oppression in his life, Lord, that you would set him free from that. In Jesus' name, that you would drive those things out. That you would. Uh, drive out anything that has that is oppressing him or bothering him in his mind, Lord, that he would be totally clean and pure from those things. And Lord, we also pray that if there's an issue with his mind, perhaps a mental health issue, Lord, we pray for healing in that area as well. We pray for wisdom, Lord, to be able to discern what is the cause of this. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Beth. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking calls and texts live on the air. Let's go to our next caller, Carrie in, I'm not sure, oh, Greeley, Colorado. Carrie in Greeley. Hi, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you. What's up? Hello? Hey. Uh, yeah, I had a question about... Um, I was reading uh, that Jesus Jesus said that uh, you cannot serve God and Mammon. Mm. Mammon means wealth. So yeah, when, liter- literally, Mammon was the god of wealth that people worshipped. Well, doesn't doesn't working for a weekly paycheck make a person a servant of wealth? Well, let's put it this way. There's something that's referred to as the work beneath your work. And what that means is this. Let's say I do a hobby, or I do a job, or I do anything that I might do. Beneath my work, there is a deeper work. In other words, what is it that I'm doing that thing for? Am I doing that thing for the love of God and the love of my neighbor? Or am I doing that thing because through that thing, I'm trying to get something else that I believe that I need in order to be fulfilled. So for example, let's put it this way. Some people overwork, not because they love their job, but because they're trying to prove themselves through their job or because they're seeking to get rich. Now think about this. What's wrong with seeking to be rich? Well, again, it depends why you want to be rich. Most people want to be rich for a couple different reasons. Some people want to be rich so that they can have security, right? Because with wealth comes security. You can protect yourself from a lot of bad things happening to you if you have wealth. So if you're trusting in your money to protect you, Jesus speaks directly to that and says, that's a foolish way to live because you could die today. Your life could be taken from you. you remember the story in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, right, where the guy builds bigger and bigger barns and then he says, fool, tonight your life will be taken from you. Another reason why people want to be rich is because they believe that um, that will give them some kind of name or prestige. It will give them an identity that they want. And so the question is, why are you doing that? Now, on the other hand, if I also understand that I, I work and I make money so that I can provide for my family and I can fuel and fund the mission of God through my, my money and my work, again, what am I serving in that case? In that case, I'm actually serving God by loving my family and loving him and pursuing his mission. So that is, of course, what he wants me to be doing. So again, it's, it's a question of what you are doing. It's, it's a great example of this is found in 1 Timothy chapter 5, where, where he says, 
the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. And a lot of people just, they misquote that. And they'll say, money is the root of all evil. No, no, no. It's the love of money. Again, that idea that it's mammon, not just money, serving mammon is different than working for a paycheck. Mammon was a god that represented wealth and you know financial stability, financial abundance. And people would go and they would sacrifice to this idol in hopes that this demonic entity that was behind this idol would uh, reward them with financial gain. Now, do people do the same thing today? Well, they may not buy, bow down to a statue or sacrifice something physically to a statue, but what else do they do? Well, they'll sacrifice their families. They'll sacrifice lots of things. We always sacrifice for what we worship. If you want to know what somebody, where somebody's heart is at, look at what they sacrifice, because that'll tell you what they really worship. And so if we are making sacrifices for God, if we're making sacrifices for his mission, that shows that we really worship him. If, on the other hand, we're, making, we're sacrificing, see, I see people who sacrifice their spiritual life, their walk with God, they'll sacrifice that in order to make more money. Well, that tells me you've got things backwards. You're actually serving mammon rather than serving God. So I don't think that there's any discrepancy between working a job for a paycheck and I, I don't think that means you're necessarily serving mammon, although I'm sure there are some people who do that. And so, you know, I could point you to a lot of verses in the New Testament that talk about doing your job and respecting your boss and uh, and showing up for work and doing a good job. And uh, are those people idol worshipers? No, they're actually doing their work unto God. You know, I think about verses like Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, or Colossians 3.20, you know, whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. And then Colossians 3.23 goes on a little further, and it says, that do your work not unto men, but unto the Lord, because from the Lord you will receive your reward. So nothing wrong with working for a paycheck. Um, the question is, and again, this is a hard issue that only God can de determine and decipher, is why are you doing that? Um, so I hope that clears that up for you. Thanks for the thoughtful question. If we follow Jesus the way he walked, he did everything for free. He did. He accepted meals and and a place to sleep, and then he moved on. That's true. I'd be I'd be okay with you doing that. I just made a case from the Bible, though, as to why it's also, you know, totally reasonable, and actually not just reasonable, but we're told to do to work and to do these things. The question is what we do with our money, and how do we get that money? Well, somebody has to get the money to be able to give it to you. Now, Carrie, if you want to go out and you want to. Uh, just go from place to place and have people give you money. I, I, I say more power to you. Um, I encourage you to go out and try and do that. But some of those people are probably getting that money by going to work and uh, doing their job and then serving the Lord by how they use their money. So I'm going to let you go, Carrie, but thanks for that interesting discussion. Let's go to our next caller, John in Castle Rock, Colorado. Hi, John. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Nick. Um, I had a question... Uh, my wife and I have very differing um, ideas about consuming alcohol, mm -hmm. and it, it's a huge um, wedge between us, and it, it's something that I feel like I keep, you know, holding down, and then I 
explode and then they react very poorly. Um, my my family kind of came from this religious background of, you know, drinking is bad. Her family came from the opposite side where they drank a lot. Um, and I've heard pastors say, you know, partaking in your Christian liberties, it's okay to have a beer or a drink. So I'm I'm okay with that. It's it's when it extends past. And in the last couple of years, she said she's been more convicted about getting drunk. Um, but she says, you know, I can consume drink after drink, and if I span it out over hours, I'm not getting drunk, so that makes it okay. And this last kind of holiday, it was kind of just the, the boiling point for me when her, her brother is quite a big drinker, and, and she just kind of goes all feet first and dives in and partakes along with him. And I don't know. Um, I'm the one that feels like I'm turning into the judgmental, critical one, counting her drinks, letting it just get to a point where I just blew up at her. And, you know, it's kind of, am I being too um, critical and, you know, focusing on the wrongs versus just what God has called us to do is just love her and that God sees us as this finished product yeah. and not counting the wrongs. And it, that's hard for me well, to do when I'm in. Let me just try and uh, talk you through this for a second. So, yeah. um, John, tell me why it is that you don't want her to drink as much as she does. I feel I, her mom is a big drinker, yet. They go to church on Sunday, but then she's okay with getting drunk and falling over. And her brother's not a believer, and he is a big, heavy drinker. Um, so I guess if you were to ask me why does it matter to me so much, that would really put a spotlight on me no, I'm pointing just curious. out her wrongs. Yeah, and, I'm just curious. What is the impetus for you being concerned about it? Because I think there's a lot of reasons why you might be. One one might be that you just feel like what she's doing is wrong, and it bothers you that somebody is doing something wrong. On the other hand, well, that, it could be that, something okay. else. It could be that you see what this leads to, and you don't want that. Or perhaps you would say on the positive side, you want your wife to walk in holiness. So I'm just trying to tease out kind of from you yeah. what what are what is what is it that bothers you about this, and then maybe based on that I can help you. Well... Even even that, like, we've had big arguments where she says, well, don't tell me I'm not being a good enough Christian, when I'm kind of getting to that point of, I just wish you would have more of a heart after God, and the more that you pursue God, the less that you would find um, pleasure in things of this world. I, I, I would phrase it as, in Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, how Nebuchadnezzar described this statue was so glorious and lustrous and so beautiful, but in the eyes of God, it was horrible. I feel like she describes alcohol as just beautiful, and there's nothing wrong with it, and I'm the one that needs to go to counseling, and I have a horrible judgmental view about it. Mm. Yeah. Like so, you know, just one, John, one thought that comes to mind is just this idea that when we talk about, like, let's say, legalism versus antinomianism, yeah. right? So these are the two ends of a spectrum. Legalism on the one hand, and then antinomianism on the other hand, which antinomianism is actually when you take a negative view 
of laws and rules, etc. Legalism is where you believe that your whole standing before God is based on laws and rules. Now, it doesn't sound to me like you believe that your standing before God is based on those things. But I would just say that the, beyond just um, justification, there's also the issue of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the issue of um, how we have our standing before God. So beyond just justification, there's also the issue of motivation. That's what I was looking for. Sorry, I drew a blank. Mm -hmm. uh, and the issue of motivation, when we get to legalistic versus gospel-centered motivation, sometimes we would put it this way, a way to diagnose it is that in a legalistic way, we try to motivate with shame and um, pride. Shame and pride, right? So pride says we're not the kind of people who do those things. We're better than that. Shame says, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you do that, then you will be like them, right? Whereas the gospel, and I loved what you said just a second ago. You said something really good, that she would pursue God and that she would want that so much. And it sounds like you understand that, right? That the gospel is so beautiful, so desirous. And so my, my advice to you would be this. Press into that part. Press into not mm -hmm. the guilt and shame or the, the pride and shame. Press into the part about, you know, he is so good and so glorious that when you really get a grasp of him, you don't want those other things as much, right? Like you, those things all tend to fall into their proper place in the proper order and the proper amount rather than, um, rather than be, being so desirous to us, like you said. So that, that would well, be my like advice. I, yeah. I feel like I've burned that bridge. And she says, don't preach at me. Some of my father. <laughs> well, we, but, we've come to the end of our show. Let me pray for you as we go. Let me sure. try to pray yeah. for... Uh, my brother here and I ask the Lord that you give him wisdom with how to talk to his wife about this delicate issue. I pray they be unified rather than divided. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church. Join us again next time on Calvary Live every weekday, 4 to 5 p.m. God bless you and have a great evening. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.